We've chosen for today a passage of Scripture from the book of Jeremiah, a time in which they were dealing with turmoil in their, in their nation and culture as well. And we think it has a word for us today. So I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the book of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Economists Ann Case and Angus Deaton from Princeton University recently published research on what they call the deaths of despair. They focused upon middle-aged working white Americans in their 40s and 50s who were dying of alcoholism, of suicide, and of drug abuse. The overall mortality rate for that age group was no longer falling, which is a shocking pattern in modern society, according to a news article in the New York Times just a week ago. And as they continued to dig into their data, it became clear that the trends didn't only apply to middle-aged whites. Up and down the age spectrum, deaths of despair have been surging for people without a four-year college degree. These problems aren't merely financial. Life for many middle and low-income Americans can lack structure and status and meaning. People don't even know what days or hours they're going to be working from week to week. Interesting that people in these categories are also likely not to attend church. Now, this term, deaths of despair, is a new terminology for me, but like all of us, we're learning all sorts of new terminology. Social distancing, coronavirus. The world just seems to be turning upside down. We're increasingly discovering in these days just how interconnected we are, both physically and financially. But we're certainly not the first or the only people to experience these kinds of social dislocations and disorientations. People throughout history have had to confront challenges, and it required character. It required virtues like courage and compassion. It required those three fundamental virtues of our faith, Faith, hope, and love. It almost seems as if we're working our way through the five stages of grief collectively. So many people today seem just 
in denial about what's happening. Others are angry. Some are angry that we're overreacting to this virus. Others are angry that we're underreacting to the virus. Some are bargaining. Some are feeling depression. Others are moving towards acceptance of a new reality. But we're all being affected by what's happening. Predicting the future is tricky business. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to do economic forecasting or weather forecasting. It's even tricky trying to determine what the college tuition will cost when your child is ready to attend. I think of Reed this morning. It's difficult to predict what's going to happen in the future. Prophets in the Old Testament came to be known as such because of their ability to predict what was going to happen in the future. And they were, more often than not, pessimistic about what was coming. When the rest of the world seemed optimistic, the prophets were uncovering a very shaky foundation for the national life. Perhaps you remember over a decade ago, the freeway bridge collapse in Minnesota. The engineering reports of that bridge warned that there were stress fractures that compromised the integrity of the steel that supported the bridge. But those reports were disregarded. The traffic just kept driving over it until finally the bridge collapsed. Similarly, the prophets in the Old Testament warned of stress fractures in the support beams of the entire society. They pointed to injustice and they pointed to exploitation. They called for a return to faithfulness, for redressing the wrongs that were undermining the safety of the entire civilization. Seeking to disabuse people of their false hopes in their wealth the military might. The prophets were best known for forecasting trouble. They chronicled the decline and fall of their society. But that's not what this story is about today. Today we read a story in Jeremiah in which the prophet is the optimist. Precisely just when the rest of the world had slipped into pessimism about the future, Jeremiah takes action and speaks a word of hope. 26 centuries ago, Jeremiah, on the eve of the fall of Jerusalem, and as the armies of Egypt and Judah and Babylon were positioning for advantage and tearing the country apart by war, Jeremiah makes a real estate investment. It's not what people ordinarily do when armies are camped all around and laying siege to a city. Some investment decisions either pay off big time or not at all. And Jeremiah's purchase was either incredibly stupid or he knew something about the future that nobody else knew or understood at the time. He took a long-term investment strategy. You see, in the midst of the worst of times, Jeremiah exercised his right of redemption and he bought a land, a piece of land in Jerusalem from his cousin as a symbol of the optimism about the future. 
It was probably land that had been lost in a collateral loan deal that had gone bad, and it was about to transfer ownership. And since he was the next of kin, he had the right under law to redeem it and keep it for his family. This is a little like a Frenchman buying land in Paris just as the Nazis are coming into the city. Or like a Syrian Christian buying real estate in Aleppo just as the ISIS forces are arriving at the city gates. In other words, there's nothing in the situation itself to suggest that this is a prudent or a wise investment. Circumstances would lead one to conclude the exact opposite. This is sheer folly. But you see, present circumstances don't always point us in the direction of reality. The future belongs not to a temporary set of circumstances. God is still at work in the world. And it's faith that claims that the future belongs not to the forces of nature or to economic uncertainty or to the politics of nations or even to military might. Necessary as all of those are and as influential as all of those can be, they don't determine all things. Faith alone claims that in the final analysis, the future belongs to the Lord. The story is not over. And in spite of the breakdown of every earthly hope, yet there is hope in a future that belongs to God. So Jeremiah invests in that future, and it's a future he cannot see. He believes it'll come to, bat, come to pass solely because God has promised that it will. So shining through the darkness of this exile and refugee crisis of that day comes a piercing ray of light, hope, based not upon the circumstances in the present, but built upon the nature and the purposes and the promises of Almighty God. Those purposes and promises are made most known to us in Jesus Christ our Lord and this is a ray of light in the darkness that is hope for the entire world. Hope in the midst of the deaths of despair. Hope in the midst of COVID-19. Hope in the midst of social distancing. In every age, there are those who are willing to believe in more than they can see in the present circumstances. At the time of the American Revolution, a whole new vision of government was beginning to emerge, and Benjamin Franklin summed up the apprehension that the signers of the Declaration of Independence were experiencing when he said, quote, we must all hang together or most assuredly we shall all hang separately. Apprehensive, of course. Predicting the future is tricky business. But believing in the future that belongs to the Lord, we can with conviction and determination turn in the direction of what is yet to come with confidence even in difficult times. We can't predict the future. 
but we can't prepare for the future. And unless we all hang together, we will surely hang separately. So let's follow the example of others who have, in other times and places, lived their faith in times of uncertainty and difficulty. Here's an example. The Church of the Holy Trinity in Stoughton Harold, excuse me, Stoughton Herald, England, was built by Sir Robert Shirley in the mid-17th century. In response to the appalling destruction of churches during the English Parliamentary War between 1641 and 1647, Robert Shirley built a beautiful church, one of only a handful built during that dark period of the Commonwealth, and it was an act of defiance against a joyless and an artless regime. Carved above the entrance to that church is this inscription, quote, In the year 1653, when all things sacred were throughout the nation either demolished or profaned, Sir Robert Shirley founded this church, whose singular praise it is to have done the best things in the worst of times and hoped them in the most calamitous. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. We too can seek to do the best of things in the worst of times. We can nurture the spiritual life within us. We can increase all of those practical behaviors that build up the kingdom of God. There's no end to the good that we can do together. And it all begins within where we're invited to unite with Christ and to trust in Him. So just as Jeremiah visibly staked a claim, we too will join together and stake our claim in this world. We may not be able to do everything, but it, we can do something. We can all hang together. We can make an investment here and now in what the Lord is doing in the world. God is not finished with us yet. We have a future with hope. We can make a difference. And together, we are building for that future and investing in the kingdom of God. Here, back in 1941, and in the, throughout that decade of the 40s, our ancestors of faith made an investment in the future. They'd lived through two world wars and the Great Depression. And they made an investment here from which we all benefit today. They built for peace following World War II. Let's not lose faith in that vision. Let's invest today for the long-term future of our world. So 79 years from now, another four generations of a family will be gathered here for a baptism. Another generation of San Marino Community Church members will be able to celebrate life together here. This is the world that God so loved. This is the one that Jesus came to redeem. It's our history that God has entered. God has placed us in this world, and each one of us is being invited to buy a piece of real estate for a future we cannot see. 
What investment are you prepared to make for the sake of that future? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters in marriage. Multiply. Do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So be safe. Stay healthy. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen.